do you think about in terms of like how valuable making 10 grand a year is? It's like, you know, you need a $250,000 portfolio, you know, if we're using the whole 4% rule thing to make that same amount. And it's like, if I can make 10 grand doing deliveries and walking dogs and stuff like that, why can't I do that, right? Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. On today's episode, we have Kevin from Financial Panther. And Justin, I am just kind of pumped to share this with the audience because he shows people how easy it is to make money in today's economy. Yeah, this guy's awesome. I mean, not only is he a lawyer, but he's also doing side hustles. Who does both of those? (laughs) Definitely not a typical path, but Kevin just illustrates how powerful it can be. Well, let's all tell his story for him. Take it away, Kevin. For college choice, I kind of I went to a state school for college, and to be honest, I didn't think about money at all. Like when I went to college, like my parents, I, you know, I was fortunate enough I had parents who were able to pay for my college, and I didn't go to like a super expensive one. But I didn't think at all, like, oh, I should go to one that's not crazy expensive so it's kind of just like luck that i went to one that was an affordable college um (laughs) yeah and then in terms of majors and things like that i literally had no rationale for my majors i just picked ones i thought sounded interesting without any idea like oh can i get a job with this major later so if i could go back i probably would have thought more about that okay and then what did life look like immediately after undergrad Yeah. So right after college, I graduated. uh, So I graduated college in 2009, which was right in the midst of the uh, financial crisis. And so I really like couldn't get myself a job. And without anything to do, I kind of did the thing most people do, which is like, oh, I'm going to study for the LSAT then and go to law school, (laughs) (laughs) which is what a lot of lawyers end up doing. I feel like that's how it starts out. And so that's kind of what happened. You know, like right after college, I moved back home. I like worked some like kind of fake jobs. And then I took the LSAT, went to law school and started on my path to being a lawyer. So Kevin, you mentioned not knowing what major to choose. So how'd you go from that kind of unclear situation to knowing exactly like I want to become a lawyer? Yeah, well, it's really because like the type of majors I did. So I majored in history and econ in undergrad. And like both of those things don't really have like a thing I could go to for grad school, I feel like. So it's like, and this kind of like the joke is like, you know, history, poli sci people, you just end up going to law school. But so at that point, were you thinking about money? Because I mean, everyone knows that when you hear the word lawyer, people just think big bucks. Was that kind of what drove you as well? Yeah. So when I went to law school, you know, I thought of it as like, oh, this like be a career I can like make a living doing it. When I actually picked my law school, I thought about it more in terms of the money perspective um, because I was paying for it this time. (laughs) And this is like in 2010 was kind of like right when people started noticing like how big the student loan thing was. And so I was really conscious about like, okay, well, I kind of need to make sure I keep my student loans not ridiculous. Like the debt load, like thinking about debt between like a law student or, you know, for doctors and lawyers is totally different than like thinking about debt for like other types of jobs. You know, like just like the way we think about debt is so much different. Like our view of like what is a lot of debt is just 
completely worlds apart than what like normal people think is a lot of debt. So, you know, when I went to law school, I got a half scholarship and it made my student loan debt much more reasonable. And I still came out with $87,000 of student loans from law school, which I thought was like great. <laughs> Since lawyers expect these large sums of debt, did you also have a blueprint in your mind of like how you're going to pay off $87,000 in debt? Yeah. So I kind of, when I graduated from law school, I didn't really like think about it that much because it wasn't really like in my brain yet until I got that first like student loan bill. And and so that's when I was like, oh gosh, I need to do something about this. So, you know, my idea was like, I'm just going to live like a student. You know, I got, I was lucky I did well in law school. I like, I like hustled real hard and got myself a good job. And so I was just like, I'm going to just keep living like a student for, you know, as long as I can while I just crush these student loans as fast as I can. So was it immediately after your graduation where you landed this big shot law job or did you have a little break in between then? Yeah, no. So that was my first job. I landed it right away. I did my summer there, like the summer before. And then I started working there in the September of after I graduated. So that was my like right away. As soon as I started graduating from school, I got myself that good job. And so when did the mindset shift come in? Because I know at some point during your path, you discovered like the financial independence and just that time is more valuable than money and all of those great ideas. So how and when did that exactly happen? Yeah, you know, it kind of, when I think about it, I kind of just stumbled into it. I'm not really exactly sure when, because like when I started trying to learn more about money and everything, I was trying to do it from the whole uh, payoff debt thing. And so the whole financial independence thing wasn't something I like really thought about until maybe like a year into my debt payoff where I was like, oh, wait, there's like a bigger world of personal finance than just like saving money and paying off my debt as fast as I can. You know, there's like I can do something more meaningful maybe if I get rid of this debt and just start saving money and, you know, figure out something else to do. So what was that catalyst that flipped the switch after a year that made you focus on more than just, you know, debt payoff and focus on a little something more? One of the like first things I found, I think like when I was like researching things, you know, I found like Financial Samurai was like one of my first formative personal finance blogs. And so like I must have learned it from that thing. And then, you know, from there you stumble into the whole Mr. Money Mustache and all those other things. But yeah, you know, I don't know the exact like moment why I found it. I know I do know that I started with Dave Ramsey as like my personal finance thing. But you know, he never pushes the financial independence stuff. So I found it from Financial Samurai and those folks. Now could you walk the, the listeners through exactly, you know, how long did your debt payoff take? And how did being debt free really change the way you felt about working for this big law firm or how you viewed just employment in general? Yeah, so I it took me about two and a half years to pay off all of my student loans, which is um, which I was pretty proud of when I did it. And I literally left my big law job and went to a different government job when I knew, like, okay, I need to do something else. That was like my goal was pay these student loans off. Now I've got this elephant off my back, and now I can go try something else. And so you know, I went to the government, took a big pay cut, like $50,000 pay cut to do it. And, you know, gave that a shot, which is kind of nice to have that flexibility to be able to do that. So from someone without a lawyer background, I don't really know what the difference is between those two jobs. So how much more time did you have and how much more enjoyable was that job that you took with the pay cut? Yeah, that's a good point because I didn't think about that. You know, so when you're thinking about like big law, it's like, 
basically 24-7 on-call type job, you know, because it makes sense. They're paying you a lot and they've got big clients. And so you're kind of expected to always be there. And the thing is, this is actually something I've learned as I've been kind of figuring out my way in my career path, because actually when I went to government work, the hours weren't very much better, to be honest. So yeah, so I actually only worked at that government job for a year before uh, I took another pay cut to go to a, uh, like a nonprofit job. And so those hours now have been much better in this new job. But yeah, you know, it's just lawyers. It's just, uh, it's a very weird career path where it's just like a very heavy emphasis on like always being available. That, that's kind of, you know, the bigger the firm is, the more like you're going to always be working. So you mentioned your first job being high paying. And I think most people listening would assume like if I want to become a lawyer, yeah, I want to get high paid. But what could they realistically expect to make? The way lawyer jobs work is there's kind of like this bimodal thing where it's like the top pay scale in like the main markets, the top pay scale people will make like, if you go to big law as a starting associate, you'll make like 180,000 a year. And if you're just like going into regular law firms, you'll make like 60,000 a year. And it's like, that's like the gap between, and it's a very weird thing because you don't hear that in a lot of other jobs where it's like so far apart, but yeah, but where I am, I'm in Minnesota, and so our pay scale is a little bit different. It's not; it doesn't get up into that hundred eighty thousand dollars level, which is more like for the East Coast and big cities. All right, Kevin. So you did two pay hops down, but I know at some point you wanted to make some additional income. And judging by your blog, you're kind of like the side hustle king. So when did you start creating these additional income sources, and what was your motivation behind that? I started doing all these side gigs in 2015. So I was still in big law during that time and making like perfectly fine money. And so my motivation doing this stuff wasn't super like money motivated as it was just trying to find something different. I, I think of it as kind of like a de-stressor type thing, you know, because I wanted to do something that was just completely different than what I was doing in my day to day. And that was like something I could find fun to do. And so that's why I started picking up all these kind of gig economy stuff like so yeah so example is like you know i started doing postmates and doing delivering food for postmates and that was like i was doing it on a bike you know so i don't drive around doing it and so it's like i was getting some exercise and de-stressing and you know so after work i would go and do deliveries and it was like, you know, a big shot lawyer is not supposed to do this kind of stuff, obviously. <laughs> but it was like, I found it fun. And so that's why I started doing these things. Hey, you can't hate on the uh, delivering food on a bike. I did the same exact thing when I was over in Australia on Uber Eats. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, you know, now I do I do all of them now. So I do Postmates and DoorDash and Uber Eats. And it's like, I just find them fun to do. It's like you hop on a bike, get some exercise, get paid. Now, you're talking a lot about food delivery, but I know you're tackling a lot more than that. Can you walk us through those other side hustles real quick? For sure, yeah. So I do basically every gig economy and sharing economy side hustle out there. Um, I <laughs> rent out a room in my house on Airbnb. I do dog sitting on Rover. I walk dogs with WAG. What else? Oh, I've been charging up electric scooters with Bird and Lime. <laughs> so yeah these are just kind of some of the things i do and you know in any given month i'll usually have like eight to ten different things i've done that month to make money but yeah so there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of gig economy and share economy stuff out there 
For people who aren't really in the sharing economy world, what are some of the best and some of the worst side hustles that you found? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug-and-play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Yeah, so the best ones, so the way I do all of these gig economy stuff and sharing economy stuff is I try to incorporate them into like my everyday life. And so the best ones are ones where you can kind of fit them in and like basically get paid for the things you're already doing. So a great example is like Rover for dog sitting. I've been doing dog sitting for three years now since 2015. And it's like, since I already own a dog, it's not a lot more work for me to watch another dog, you know? So like in a way it's like I'm getting paid to take care of my own dog because I already have to feed my dog and walk my dog. And so if I can just add a second dog in the mix and get paid for it, it's like, why wouldn't I do that? You know, Airbnb is a good example too. It's like, I have a house and it's just me and my wife who live here and we have a spare bedroom that just sits unused most of the time. So it's like, I put up that room on the house and it's like, all I have to do is really just, you know, flip the room and then keep my house clean. And it's like, I already have to keep my house clean for me anyway. I'm getting paid now to clean my house. And so on the opposite side of that coin, what are some of the worst on an ROI basis? What are some of the worst side hustles you've picked up? Oh, well, for an ROI, I mean, so the ones that don't work well for me are ones where you have to like drive a car around. And so it's like, I signed up once for Instacart, which is like delivering groceries. Cause I thought, oh yeah, I could like try and do that one. And it's like, it sent me out to like some grocery store far away and I had to use my car and it just like wasn't fun at all. And so it's like, I don't want to do something like that where it's like, it feels like a work to me, you know, and it's like not benefiting me in any way. It's like, I'm now driving my car, putting miles on it and not getting any exercise and going off somewhere else to do something I don't really want to do. I just got to say kudos, man. I mean, you're, you're incorporating basically a second income in with your spare time without making like huge sacrifices. And we often hear a lot of excuses, but you know, you didn't have to have any kind of special networking or do interviews or anything. These are just jobs. You grab your phone, you go out and do these are jobs that are waiting on you to do. And you're just taking it up. Yeah. And you know, it's like something that like, I think a lot of people can do. If you just kind of think like, what are the things I'm already doing? You know? So it's like, you know, like Postmates and that stuff. It's like, you already have to exercise, right? It's like something you should be doing. So it's like, if you can go and just like incorporate that, you know, take an hour and just do that, bike around, like you'll feel better, you'll get more exercise and you'll make a little bit of money, you know? And it's like, if you think about it, like by a daily 
amount. It's like, let's say you want to make like extra 5,000 bucks in a year. That's like 15 or $16 a day you have to make, right? It's like anyone could do that, I think, right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Especially with these apps. It's like you just turn it on and go and then turn it off when you're done. Well, you mentioned like anyone can make $5,000 a year, which is your, you know, the $15 a day. So exactly what would someone have to do on, say, Postmates to actually earn $5,000 a year? I mean, you know, so I would think you could do two deliveries in a day. You make 15 bucks. And so I don't think we actually talked about the numbers, though, Kevin. Could you share from the beginning of your side hustle kingdom to now, what have the numbers looked like on a monthly basis? Yeah. So, you know, I always make between, usually I make between 1000 and three grand or so a month. Um, this past month, I made 3700 or something like that, which was, that was way higher than usual because, you know, I rented out my whole house for a weekend. And then like, I had a lot of dogs, I dog set and I was doing a lot of deliveries and stuff. But that's what's great about like using these apps because they kind of, I didn't even notice I had made that much until after I added it all up. And so I just know this from your blog, but other than the sharing economy, I know that you've done some selling from stuff you found in at yard sales and even in the trash <laughs> using like eBay and Craigslist and OfferUp. So I was hoping you could touch on that a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. So people throw away so much stuff, like ridiculous amounts of stuff. And like, so I used to live in this one apartment building and there was like this recycling bin in the garage there. And it was always have like things there. Like people would move out and just like throw away coffee tables and dressers and things. And so I would just like bring it back up to, into my apartment and sell it. And it would, from that one dumpster there, I made like a thousand dollars just selling stuff, <laughs> literally selling stuff I found in there. And so, <laughs> yeah. And even now it's like, I live in a college neighborhood. So it's like college kids are always throwing stuff away. And, you know, especially in August, you can always find stuff because they all move out and, it's pretty easy. Like you just grab stuff, list it up. Usually you can get it. Like, you know, you, you have to like, after a little while, you figure out what will sell quickly and you just grab it, put it up on Craigslist, offer up, you know, Facebook marketplace and someone will buy it. So with all this side hustle money you're bringing in, are you still enjoying your day job? And this is going to be a lot of questions in one, but could you survive off of your side hustle income? And do you even need to still have that day job? So no, I wouldn't be able to survive off my side hustle income. Although I think I could survive like just the bare minimum, you know, like meeting my expenses. Like I wouldn't be able to save a ton, but I'd be able to like just pay my bills. And so like, yeah, because I look at him like, well, if I could do this, you know, if I can make this on the side while I'm working, how much can I make if I did it all day, right? You know, but a lot of these gigs won't scale very well. And so it's like, do I want to do that forever? Like, uh, you know, probably not always. Like, I'd probably get tired at some point. But it's kind. Of, there's kind of comfort there, knowing like, you know, if something happened, I could probably survive at least. It's kind of like you know, like a side hustle emergency fund type thing. That's a hefty emergency fund that's recurring. <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah, I don't put in some work, but you know, I can pay the bills if I had to. That's awesome because I've been thinking a lot about that type of stuff because I'm kind of sick of my job. <laughs> I feel the same way. Like I kind of like just wish I could just do this stuff all day and just like blog and stuff, like basically write and do deliveries. I mean, you probably could. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. Like I don't have the guts to do it yet. Like I'm too scared to. So what's that number? What's that monthly side hustle number where 
your guts start to get a little bigger? I mean, if I could like, if I could consistently make like four grand a month, like doing all my stuff, I would feel like pretty comfortable. I'd be like, yeah, I'd be, I'm doing okay. In terms of scalable stuff, what would your ambitions be? Would you work on the blog? Would you start some new freelance online business type thing? Or what's the plan there? Yeah, I would definitely just love to blog like all the time. You know, right now I can only do it at nights and weekends. And it's like hard to keep up with everything. And you just think like, oh, if I had some money and I could just do this all the time, like maybe I could make it, right? <laughs> it's definitely a tempting idea. I mean, I've been fiddling around with ideas to so I can quit my job too. So definitely in the same boat. You just started working too, right? Oh yeah, I'm done. I'm two months in. <laughs> so Kevin, what does your financial independence journey look like? Because you're grinding away on all these extra side hustles on top of your job. And I have to imagine that there's something that you're seeing more value in with these side hustles than simply, you know, $1,000 a month that they're bringing in. And with that, you know, why should listeners take these side hustles so seriously? For me, I'd kind of striving for the whole of barista thing where it's like, I've got enough saved up and I just need a little bit to pay the bills. And, you know, it's like when I think about it, if I can make, you know, if I just need 10 grand a year to survive, you know, it's like that's something that I can do just doing all these little things on the side. You know, if you think about in terms of like how valuable making 10 grand a year is, it's like, you know, you need a $250,000 portfolio, you know, if we're using the whole 4% rule thing to make that same amount. It's like, if I can make 10 grand doing deliveries and walking dogs and stuff like that, why can't I do that? Right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that scares a lot of people. Some people don't want to pull the trigger until they hit that million dollars. If they're spending 40 grand a year or whatever their number is for their nest egg to start pulling using the 4% rule. But if you're doing what you're saying, say you need that 40 grand a year and you already have 500 grand saved up, then you only need 20 grand a year which seems pretty reasonable considering you're making one to 3,700 a month. I mean, you'd only need a little under two grand a month at that point. So it's just crazy once you kind of get this idea and this mindset. And I really like the Mr. Money Mustache article, Money and Confidence are Interchangeable. And he talks about that specifically at length. And that's the thing too. It's like, if you know, if you try to go for it, it doesn't work out. It's like, you can always get a job. I feel I feel like a lot of people think that if you leave the workforce or something happens, you will never be able to get a job again, right? And it's like, we're so young. Like, we can definitely get jobs if we have to. Yeah, I guess it just depends what you want to do. Because I'm sure a doctor who's been out of practice for 10 years might not get that same surgeon job again operating on people's heads. <laughs> but they could probably get a job doing something. That, that's true, yeah. Kevin, I really enjoyed this interview. And we tried to cover as much as we could. But obviously, we can't cover everything. And people are going to want to see those side hustle reports that you're putting out every month. So if people want to get in touch with you or find out more information, where should they go look? They can check out my blog at financialpanther.com or uh, catch me on Twitter. That's uh, Financial Panther, but without the R at the end. So Financial <laughs> Panther. Awesome. Well, we will link to both those in the show notes. And... I don't know if you're ready for what's coming next, though, because it is the wild card question, and it is a question that is not premeditated whatsoever, and I'm just going to think of it off the top of my head. Do you think you're ready? Yeah, throw it down. Let's go. All right, Kevin, what's the craziest thing you've ever done for money? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> probably digging around the trash. I haven't gotten to the level of like 
really jumping into dumpsters or anything for things. But, you know, like, I get it. I get pretty close to the trash, like, around this stuff. Actually, no. You know what? So, like, an example of some trash I sold recently, it was, like, a chair or something. And it was, like, a chair for, like, 10 bucks, right? And I had one of those electric scooters in my house, which I was riding around for free because I charge them up. And so I actually scootered holding this chair on a (laughs) scooter, like an electric scooter, to the guy's house because he was like a few blocks away and was like too lazy to come pick up the chair at my house, I guess. So like people were laughing at me because, you know, I'm like holding this chair. It's like, like, yeah, why am I doing that for 10 bucks? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, Kevin, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are inspired, and I hope that they can start to participate in the sharing economy because you showed us that it's pretty easy to incorporate it in your life. And if you want to make an extra five grand a year, go make 15 bucks a day. It's not that difficult, you know? Go deliver some food. Go deliver some Postmates. Go walk a dog. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, Justin, I think you'd be lying if you don't want to go out and make a few extra bucks right now, it just seems so easy in this gig economy. And like Kevin said, it's $15 a day to make an extra five grand in a year. Yeah, Cody. I mean, he's doing Uber Eats, Wag, Rover, Bird, Airbnb. And I mean, these are not businesses he had to start up himself. These are apps and platforms that are already set up and ready to go for him. All he has to do is log in and make the money. And the thing is, Kevin said he's not going out of his way. He's not staying up till 1 a.m. to do Uber. He's building these into his daily life. Like he already has a dog he has to walk. Okay, I'll walk three more and make 100 bucks. <laughs> it's so intuitive, but no one really thinks like that. Yeah, or I mean, even Airbnb. Like how many people have that extra room that just sits vacant all the time? <sighs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time for a call to action, Cody. So today's call to action seems pretty easy to me, Justin. It's go out and make a few extra bucks, you know. Just test out one of these apps. No matter what you like doing, maybe you like riding a bike, maybe you like walking a dog, there's an app for you to make money. And Kevin just illustrates this, and we'll definitely link to a bunch of these awesome apps that Kevin uses in the show notes today. And you can find the show notes over at thefashow.com slash panther. Come join our Facebook group at thefashow.com slash community. Leave us a voicemail at thefashow.com slash voicemail. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.